We are starting a new sermon series today. I'm calling it First Steps, Lessons from the Book of Acts. Uh, we just kind of finished up uh, Matthew, uh, the life of Jesus. We hit some highlights in that uh, great gospel in the New Testament. And, and I thought it would be helpful to just continue right on from uh, when the apostles received the handoff uh, from Jesus and what they did with it. And those very first steps of the church. We uh, here at Stony Brook Christian Church are uh, a part of a movement called the Restoration Movement. Uh, and uh, one of our goals uh, since uh, uh, it, it, was, it came into existence back in the early 1800s was to um, look at the New Testament and see what that first church looked like. And then try to be like that. Uh, if we want to be the most correct in, in the way we, the, we, our faith and our practice um, would be not to look at something that's going on lately, but how did they do it that, during that very, those very first years when the church was initially established? Um, and the more we can look like that, the more, like, more likely we're going to be uh, where God wants us to be. So, so we're going to be taking a look at those first steps in the life of the church from the book of Acts. It's not going to be a, a thorough study throughout the whole book, but we're just going to take, look at some highlights of that, those, those first steps of the church. And today, the secret weapon, uh, or from the American tale movie, we wish the secret weapon, if any of you are familiar with that movie. Uh, I had to say that. All right, we're looking in Acts chapter 1 and 2. Acts chapter 1 and 2. Uh, as I said last week, we saw Jesus perform the handoff, uh, like a football handoff. Um, in our last lesson from the Gospel according to Matthew series, we saw Jesus officially hand his mission off to his disciples. Jesus was ready to, to get back to heaven, to be with his Father. Uh, his work was done. He had done what was necessary to save us from our sins. He died for them, and then he rose from the grave uh, three days later. So his work was done. He was finished. And now it's time for um, it to be turned over to the men he had trained for three years to take over the the mission, his disciples. Um, their job would be, as we talked about last week, to run the play. Uh, now, if you missed it, uh, last week I used uh, a few football analogies. Uh, and, and so we, we, we likened it to when the quarterback hands the ball off to his running back. Jesus handed the mission off uh, to his disciples. The mission, the goal, was to save the world from their sins. And, and Jesus gave them a brilliant play to get it done. Very simple play. Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He said to them, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So the play was, go tell people about Jesus. Uh, tell them what he did for them persuade them through this story to become his disciples, his followers, baptize them, and then teach them the lessons that I taught you. That's the play. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them. 
That was the last thing that we learned in Matthew's gospel, but we learned from uh, uh, Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, that Jesus had more to say about the mission uh, that they were to continue after he was gone. Let's read about it. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In my former book, Theophilus, this is Luke writing to a friend named Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus gave them the play, the mission, just before he left. But, but here we see that he also gave them some, some other vital information uh, on, on some things that they needed to do, some things that they would need to get prepared uh, to run the play, and where to run the play. After he left, he, he, needed to, he wanted them to stay right there in Jerusalem because his father was going to give them a very important gift that they were going to need if they were going to be successful. Now, if you'll indulge me a little bit more, uh, let's return to our football analogy. Uh, and I apologize to any of you who could care less about football or hate football or, or don't understand football. Uh, so I apologize ahead of time. But, but maybe we can accomplish a couple of things here by, by using football analogies. Uh, we can learn more about God's plan for his mission, and you can learn some more about football. And so when the guys are standing around talking about formations and game plans, you could join in and talk and, and feel included. So, so we'll accomplish a couple of things here this morning. You know, before a football team can run a play, uh, they got to first get prepared to play the game. Uh, they need a game plan. Uh, most teams start a, a game with a specific strategy called a game plan. Uh, they consider the strengths and the weaknesses of their opponents. Uh, they consider how they could take advantage of the weaknesses of their opponent and avoid their strengths. Um, if their opponent, for example, is weak on run defense, uh, they might focus on running the ball more than passing. If their, if their opponent's pass defense is stronger on one side and weaker on the other, they might plan to pass more on the weak side. Often, they might have a certain player that they could insert in the game at strategic times based on the, the player's skills uh, and the defense's weaknesses. In Upward, my, uh, my game plan for my kindergarten first grade team uh, was usually let every player touch the ball at least once, uh, either by running the ball or throwing the ball or trying to catch the ball. And when we needed a first down or a touchdown, I'd give the ball to one of my best running backs. So let everybody touch it, but if I needed, if I needed some yardage, uh, I'm going to give it to my best running back. You know, game plans are designed to help your team uh, have the greatest advantage over your opponents. 
And God wanted to give his followers, starting with the disciples, the best advantage that they could have as they continued on with their mission. And one of the things that they would need to win is a secret weapon. In fact, without this secret weapon, they had no hope of winning at all. Now, my secret weapon in Oprid was my best running back. He was my secret weapon. Uh, in kindergarten, first grade football, the secret to winning in kindergarten, first grade division is running, not passing. It's all about running. Now, we would try to pass here and, here and there just to kind of give the players an, you know, a feel for what it means to throw or to, or to catch. Um, but rarely did, in kindergarten, first grade, did a pass advance the ball very far. Uh, in fact, the vast majority of the time, the passes would be incomplete, <laughs> which means they didn't catch it. Uh, most years, I had at least one player on my team that I knew if I give this player the ball, there's a good chance he's going to get a first down or a touchdown. Good chance of it. Uh, he was fast. He could avoid the defense. That was the secret. Fast, avoid the defense. Now, the temptation was to give him the ball every play. <laughs> And, and uh, unfortunately, a lot, some of the coaches sort of did that, uh, even though we, we advise not to. Um, but uh, the temptation was to give your best player the ball every time, but that would defeat one of the main goals of upward sports, which was to let everybody play and participate, not just the good players. But, but if it was on my team, if it, if it was fourth down, uh, and... Uh, and I needed a first down or a touchdown or I was going to have to turn the ball over to the other team, uh, I would run my best running back. That was my secret weapon, my best running back. You know, God knew that our opponents would be strong. Uh, our opponents would be a sinful world that we walk and live in every day with all the temptations that are involved in a sinful world. Satan himself, who's out there regularly trying to get us to, to give in to sin. Our own flesh, our own flesh wants what it wants, and some of the things that our flesh wants is sinful. Uh, and so we've got some pretty strong opponents facing us. And if we're going to have any chance of winning, uh, winning over a sinful world, uh, in, in, in light of, this, of a sinful world that we live in, if we're going to win the world to Jesus, and, and if we're going to stay faithful to Jesus ourselves and our own life, we're going to need a superstar player that's going to help lead the way, to help us overcome this sinful world, to help us overcome Satan's temptations, to help us overcome our own flesh. We need a superstar player to give us help. And Jesus called this secret weapon a gift that his father had promised him. Let's read about it in a couple of passages in John. John 14, 15, and 17. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. John 14, 26. But the advocate the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Now, the gift or the secret weapon was the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told the disciples several times during their training uh, that they would receive an advocate. They would receive 
the Holy Spirit, who would guide them, teach them, remind them, give them strength, give them special skills and abilities to do what they needed to do. Without this secret weapon, without the Holy Spirit, they would have no chance of being successful uh, in their mission. Uh, The world and their flesh and Satan would just be too strong for them. But with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, if they would listen to him, if they would be led by him, they would be guaranteed a win. Just like Joe Namath, guaranteed a win in Super Bowl III against the Colts in 1969. Although Joe was just guessing and hoping. Uh, But we can know for sure, it's not a guess or a hope, if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, we're guaranteed a win in our mission with Jesus. And here's a cool thing. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would be with them forever. He would never be traded. (laughs) He would never retire. He would never decide to become a commentator instead of a player. No, the Holy Spirit would be a member of the team forever. In fact, he's still a member of our team today. And he's as strong as he ever was. Well, it was time for God to give the disciples and the team this secret weapon, the Holy Spirit. It's vital for the game plan. So he told them, after I leave you, Guys, don't go anywhere. Just stay right there in Jerusalem and wait, wait for this gift. Luke recorded this exchange between Jesus and his disciples before his ascension. Acts 1, 6 through 8. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the disciples were like you and me. <laughs> they, they were always wondering, hey, what's next? What's next? What's coming up next? Uh, they, they knew Jesus was here to set up his kingdom, and they wanted details, details. Aren't, aren't we like that? Come on, tell me what's going on. I, I need to know what's going on. But Jesus wasn't ready to, to give him the, the details that they wanted, you know, every, all, filling in all the blanks. Um, he did want them to know of one vital detail, though. The Holy Spirit is going to come on you soon. That's the one you need to know about. And as we read, uh, read earlier in John 14, 26, when he comes on you, he will, he will teach you the things you need to know. Uh, he's going to fill in the blanks on the needed details. Right now, you just need to know the Holy Spirit's coming. And then he told them another key part of the game plan, where they'd be playing the game, where they would be taking this mission. Verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, the whole earth is the playing field. Jesus told them to make disciples of all nations, not just in the Jewish nation or just the nations just surrounding uh, Palestine, but all over the world. After that, standing on on the mountain, they watched him go up. He disappeared into the clouds. The angel told him, 
don't worry, he'll be back one day. He was gone. He was gone. And now it's time to do what Jesus instructed them to do and get ready for the gift, the secret weapon, the Holy Spirit. So they waited there in Jerusalem, just as Jesus told them. And while they were there, they got a little housekeeping done. They set out to to select a replacement for Judas. Remember, Judas betrayed Jesus, and since then he had committed suicide. In Acts chapter 1, verse 15 through 26, uh, we read that Peter speaks of the prophecy that, that told uh, that Judas was going to do what he did and the fact that he was going to need to be replaced. And so they selected a replacement. His name was Matthias. It, it came down to two men, and the one that was chosen was Matthias. Now, Matthias was sort of like an alternate juror. <laughs> if you've ever been on a jury, uh, you, you know how that works. Or, or been involved in a jury at all? Maybe, maybe any of you all ever been an alternate juror? Alternate juror, okay. Uh, well, an alternate juror is just like a regular juror, except he sits off to the side just in case. Uh, you got your 12 regular jurors who are selected, uh, but sometimes things happen, you know, uh, uh, something comes up and disqualifies one of the main jurors, or maybe they get sick, or, or maybe they die or something. You no, know, anyway, all of a sudden one of them can't, can't perform the duty anymore, and if you don't have 12, then you got to start all over again. So they'll always choose a couple of extra people just in case who sit off to the side. And, and they're there, and they hear all the witnesses. They hear all the evidence. They're, they're there for the whole thing. They hear everything that the regular jurors do. So if something happens with one of the primary ones, they can just step right in and keep going. Matthew was sort of like that. Matthew had been one of the many followers of Jesus. You know, there weren't just 12 followers. There were many that followed Jesus. Um, uh, he had been following Jesus since John the Baptist uh, baptized Jesus. So Messiah had been there for, for most, if not all, of the, the same things that the twelve had been there for, seen and heard all that Jesus did in his ministry. Uh, and so he was chosen to take Judas's place. And so now they're back at full strength, a dozen. They had twelve. Uh, that was a, an important number. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure exactly why they had to have 12, but, you know, you had one more hand to help out with the mission. Um, And now they were ready for the first step in running the play, starting the mission of making disciples of Jesus. And it begins in Acts chapter 2. Now, Acts 2 takes place in Jerusalem during the Jewish feast of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was, it's not the name of a church, but actually it's the name of a Jewish feast or festival. It was one of three festivals or feasts that required all Jewish men to travel from wherever they lived to Jerusalem. Pentecost occurs 50 days after Passover. The word Pentecost means 50. That's why it's called that. It happened usually around May or June. And it celebrated the gathering of the first fruits of the harvest. That was what that Jewish feast was for. Well, God decided to hold the official kickoff for his mission in Jerusalem during a time when thousands of Jewish people would be traveling there to celebrate their festival called Pentecost. So there would be thousands of religious-minded people ready to practice their faith, and they would be ready and eager to listen and to worship and to do what God wanted them to do. 
Uh, not only were they religiously eager, but they were from all over the Roman world as well. Uh, they were from parts of Europe, uh, all the way around the Mediterranean Sea to North Africa. And all points in between, these people had traveled to Jerusalem. So this audience, when they heard what they were going to hear, uh, God knew then they could take what they heard back to their homes, wherever that was, and there would be instant spreading of this news that they heard. So this place at this time was a big part of God's game plan. Let's see how things began to unfold. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, Suddenly, a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Well, right off the bat, excuse the baseball term, uh, the, uh, the secret weapon arrives ready to take action. So there was no drawn-out drama with the Holy Spirit, no great anticipation. Well, when is he going to come? When is he going to come? Boom, he was there. There he was, and what a spectacular entry into the game the Holy Spirit had. The 12, and likely some other believers, were gathered together in, in a, a building, waiting uh, uh, there just as Jesus had instructed them to wait. And the Holy Spirit entered like a blowing, violent wind from heaven. And it was unmistakable what and who this was. You know, there were no thoughts of, oh, this is some kind of weather event. You know, they didn't try to explain it away by, by giving it to some, some weather event. No, because this was a storm that was inside the house. It filled the whole house. This violent wind and sound. And as everyone looked around, they saw an amazing thing. Something that looked like tongues of fire that came to rest on the 12 disciples, including Matthias, the new guy. Now, was it fire? Or did it just look like fire? Well, we don't really know. It says it was like fire. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It doesn't really matter. Uh, it was just a sign that, that to let everybody know, here's a visual image of what is happening whatever it was it had the intended effect on all of them that were there something special something powerful was happening to them they were being filled with the holy spirit now what does that mean well i think it means for the disciples for the 12 disciples uh, that they were instantly filled with power and enlightenment uh, sort of like the, the movie The Matrix, uh, one of my favorite movies. Uh, if you've ever seen that movie, you know that uh, in The Matrix, you could plug a computer into this port in the back of your head. <laughs> and, uh, and when you plug that, that, that uh, probe in there, you could, you could program, send a program into the person's brain, and they would instantly know how to fly a helicopter or do taekwondo. Jack, wouldn't it be great if you just learned it instantly? You wouldn't have to go to class for all those times, pay for all those classes. Uh, but of course, that was just fiction. Uh, but, 
but that's, the, that's sort of what happened, I think, with the, with the disciples. The Holy Spirit filled them, and they were instantly filled with everything they needed to know. Miraculously from the Holy Spirit. They were even given special abilities. Without a single lesson, all 12 were given the ability by the Holy Spirit to speak languages that they had never studied before. Boom! Just like that. They could talk these languages. These tongues or languages were, were, were known languages of, that, of the world of that time. Were spoken by the people who had traveled to Jerusalem for the Jewish festival. Let's read about that. Uh, verses uh, 5 through 12. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our own native tongues? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? <laughs> you know, this sound like a rushing wind, the Holy, Spirit in, the Holy Spirit's entry, was so loud and so powerful that it got the attention of people outside of the house where these people, where the disciples were, uh, were gathered in. And, and right away, they noticed that the great significance of what they were witnessing. They, it says they were bewildered by the fact that these 12 men, these, these men with tongues of fire over their head, spoke uh, languages that they could understand. And it wasn't the, the common Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic language, but it was their native language and dialects from their home where they lived. Uh, we see the list of them there in verses 9 through 11. They were bewildered because they also noticed, in addition to the fact that they were speaking all, all these languages, that these men were Galileans. Now, if you do some research on that, Galileans had a reputation of being known as simple, uneducated, uh, backwoods, hayseeds kind of people. Uh, Galileans were not known as language scholars, <laughs> people who went to university and learned languages. Uh, and, and so to hear a, a, a dozen of them speaking languages from all over the Roman world well, that was amazing. That was unheard of. It, it, it was like a miracle, which is exactly the response that the Holy Spirit was looking for. You know, Jesus performed miracles primarily to prove who he was. Now, in the process, he also helped people who were suffering. Uh, but the main purpose for the miracles of Jesus was to prove who he was. He would say, I'm the, the son of God, and then a miracle would, you know, only God can heal the blind and the lame and the leper. 
Only God can raise the dead. And so these miracles proved his authority. Well, the disciples were carrying on the work of Jesus, right? Why should people who had never met Jesus or maybe never even heard of Jesus, why should they listen to these men, these Galileans, for goodness sakes? Why should they listen to them? Well, if you heard an uneducated person, how about 12 of them, 12 of them, telling you about Jesus in your native language, a language that these men had never studied before, speaking it perfectly like a native, I mean, that's going to get your attention, right? That's going to get your attention again, which is exactly why the Holy Spirit did it that way, to get their attention, to get them to listen and recognize their authority. The secret weapon had arrived in spectacular fashion. He came upon the 12 disciples, filling them with everything that they were going to need to do their job, to run the play, to fulfill the mission. The secret weapon got the people's attention, got them ready to hear the message, the time, the place, The circumstance was just as it needed to be, just as God planned it for Peter and the 11 to stand before this crowd who were ready to hear and present to them the very first sermon about Jesus, their Messiah, their Savior, who had made it possible for all of them to have their sins forgiven. With the power of the Holy Spirit firmly in place, the 12, these 12 men who had received the handoff from Jesus before he ascended back into heaven, they began to run the play. Step one, step one, make disciples. Make disciples of Jesus by simply telling them who he was and what he had done for them. Very simple. Peter and the others stood before them and began to speak. The play had begun. Now, you know, this is a great story, isn't it? Uh, As we think about how everything got started and and how it worked out, how God made everything fall right into place just like he wanted it to be. It's a great story. Uh, The mission to save the world by telling the world about their Savior, it began that day. A great story. But is there anything that we could take home with us today other than just, hey, I heard a good story today from the book of Acts. Well, how about this? How about this? You know, the Holy Spirit can and is still doing spectacular things. Uh, Not not through the 12 disciples, because they passed away many years ago. But the Holy Spirit today is still doing spectacular things in your life and my life today. You know, as we'll see next, as we work our way through uh, some of the the passage of of Acts, um, You know, this very same spirit, the very same one, is a force of power, strength, enlightenment for you and me today. If you're a baptized believer in Christ, you have this very same Holy Spirit living in you. Now, he may not give you the miraculous ability to speak a foreign language, Now, that was done for a specific reason, for that specific time. 
But he has given all of us as Christians a spiritual ability, a spiritual gift. Uh, you can use this spiritual gift that, that the Holy Spirit gives you to run the play in your life among the people in your life. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the Apostle Paul uh, speaks of this. He said, now to each of you, to, to each one or each Christian, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good to be used for everyone. And then in Romans 12, verse 6 through 8, uh, Paul lists some of these special abilities that we as Christians receive uh, from the Holy Spirit. Uh, gifts like wisdom, knowledge, serving, showing mercy, teaching, leading, encouraging, giving. And there's many others that we could find in the New Testament as well. Special abilities that every Christian receives at least one. And so it's, it's our job as we, as we serve Christ to, to discover what that gift might be for us and use it, a power, an ability, a skill given to us uh, by the Holy Spirit. Like the 12 disciples, you know, we need to understand without the power of our secret weapon, the Holy Spirit in our life, we have no hope no hope of fulfilling the mission of making disciples uh, among us. Without the Holy Spirit in our life, you and I have no hope of being a faithful follower of Jesus. If we're trying to do it all on our own strength, we will fail. We must have the power of the Holy Spirit to even be faithful uh, in our lives to Christ. And as we'll see as we move along in our study... If you've given your life to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, that very same one that came, uh, uh, and, and came into the life of those 12 disciples so long ago, you have him living in you. So let's acknowledge him. You know, let's wake up every morning and remember, hey, I got the Holy Spirit living in me. I've got God living in me and then let's yield our life to him it's one thing to have him in there but are, are we giving him control of our lives are we saying you lead me today you guide me where i need to go you tell me what i need to say um, how i need to how i need to interact with people yield your life to him and while we may not have tongues of fire over our heads that would be weird um we we don't have a loud rushing wind blowing around us as we walk around our day. Maybe we can't speak Portuguese uh, suddenly, instantly. You know, when we present the message of Jesus through our words and our actions, led by the Spirit, people will be attracted to it, just as they were to the apostles. They will embrace it. So let's embrace the Holy Spirit that's in you. And if you're, if you're not a Christian yet this morning facebook or here today uh, understand that you know we'll talk about that in our next lesson um, uh, once you uh, accept christ and decide to make jesus your lord and savior at your baptism you receive not only the forgiveness of your sins but you receive that's the time and place that the holy spirit comes and lives in you so if you haven't done that yet we had last week L lynette terry came forward uh, and she, right after church, soon after church, she was baptized into Christ. And so she, she has that spirit living in her now. And many of you who have done that 
and, and your past have it too. If you've not done that yet, let's take, let's take care of that. Let's, let's, let's do whatever it takes to get your relationship with Christ where it needs to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this secret weapon, Lord, that you gave the 12 and that you still give us today. Um, you, you didn't just leave us out here all by ourselves with just trying to figure it all out uh, by our own strength and our own knowledge, uh, but you gave us an advocate. You gave us power. You gave us your presence living inside of us. And so thank you for this spectacular entry of your spirit in the lives of the 12 and those, those very first Christians. Uh, and we thank you that he still continues to be a part of our team today, to be a part of our lives. And so, Father, help us to remember that, to not forget about it. When we face a challenge of temptation in our lives, when we face a challenge or an opportunity to speak, to talk to someone, help us to, to remember we've, we've got, we've got our, our secret weapon living inside of us and, and, and ask him, let him help us, give, give us the strength we need. Uh, so, Father, thank you so much for the Holy Spirit. Uh, thank you for our relationship with you, the forgiveness of our sins. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.